0: Hello, it's Friday the 16th of December and this is your Capital Economics Weekly Briefing. I'm Group Chief Economist Neil Shearing and in this special episode I'm speaking to John Higgins who's our Chief Markets Economist. Hi John. Hi Neil. So with the last big central bank decisions done, the process of wrapping up the year has begun. And we wanted to use this opportunity to look ahead to 2023. We've just launched a dedicated page on our website all about what to expect this coming year, which we'll link to on the podcast page. And in this episode, we're going to run through some of the key macro takeaways from our work on expectations for 2023 and what they all mean for how financial markets will perform.
1: Yes, well, it's certainly been a volatile year in the financial markets, Neil perhaps you could start by walking us through the macro themes
0: for next year. Yes, absolutely. So I mean, I think there, there are several points I would draw out from the work we've done on the year that we expect to come in 2023. I think there's perhaps three themes. The first is one of recession to varying extents. I think that's expected in some countries now, but not necessarily all. We have a mild recession in the US, uh, peak to drop falling GDP of about 0.5%. A deeper recession in Europe, so about 1% peak to trough fall in GDP in the Eurozone, a bit bigger in the UK. And problems in China too continuing. Lots of optimism about the exit from zero COVID at the moment. But our sense is the path out of zero COVID is going to be rather more bumpy. And there's still substantial headwinds from the property sector. And also uh, the export sector continuing to come under pressure as global demand weakens. So... A pretty sluggish, certainly first half of the year for the global economy, one of recession. By the same token, we think that inflation has peaked in most countries and the process of disinflation will be rather swifter than many people expect, particularly in the US. And I suspect that by the time we get to the end of the first quarter, we will have hit peak rates in the US. Perhaps by the middle of the year, we will have hit peak rates in the Eurozone in the UK. And by the end of the year, it's possible we think that because of that, rapid decline in inflation in the US, the Fed may be mulling interest rate cuts. So quite a complex picture there, but one where the macroeconomic backdrop, particularly for growth, for economic growth, is going to be pretty difficult in the first half And like I say, recession, but inflation coming down. And by the end of the year, perhaps the Fed mulling rate cuts. And I suspect a bit of a recovery will be underway, at least in the US as well by that point. So perhaps a year of two halves. You've written extensively, John, about what that might mean for the markets next year. Walk us through our views on the kind of key markets, bonds, equities, and what it might mean for currencies.
1: Well, I think a lot of it really depends, Neil, on the extent to which the things you've talked about are discounted in these markets. You know, you've honed in there on the recession that we think is happening, the prospect of quite a lot of disinflation, the prospect of shifting in gears amongst policymakers. But I think, you know, some of those things actually are pretty heavily discounted already in markets, particularly in the U.S., I mean, if you look at inflation, for example, and the market for inflation swaps, it's basically flat yeah. as a pancake, very similar to what it was at the beginning of this year before we had this big you know, increase in inflation. So I don't really think there's a lot of scope there for the sort of disinflation that we're anticipating to have a big effect actually on the markets from here at least. And you can make a similar story, I think, or you could tell a similar story when it comes to expectations for interest rates. There's been quite a big revision of those expectations over the past couple of months since we had that favourable or at least less unfavorable CPI release back in October. And that reassessment of expectations for interest rates, of course, has been accompanied by this big rally in bond markets that's driven the yields down in many countries to the sorts of levels that we were already projecting for the end of next year. So there really isn't a lot of juice, I think, left in the rally in bonds between now and potentially the end of next year, given the scale of the moves we've seen over the past couple of months and the fact that investors' expectations for interest rates over the next year or so are quite similar now to our own forecasts. I think the other thing that you mentioned, of course, was recession. And there, I think, it's a lot more debatable about, whether a recession really is in the markets. There's some evidence to support the fact that it is. I mean, after all, the yield curve is extremely inverted, and that's often pointed to an economic slowdown. We've seen quite a big increase on net in credit spreads, for example, since the start of this year. We've seen a pretty big drop in the valuation of the stock market. And of course, the consensus of economists, for example, is recession. So if there's one coming, you know, arguably, it's it's pretty well telegraphed. But I think, you know, there's also some evidence that points in the opposite direction. And it's sort of consistent with the idea that there really isn't much of a recession at all priced into the markets. I mean, for a start, if you look, for example, at the equity market in the US, there's barely been any downgrading of expectations for earnings over the coming 12 months, much less than you might see even in a mildish recession. If you look at the stock market, yes, we know its valuation has fallen this year. But I think a lot of that has been to do with the surge in real government bond yields. If you actually would strip them out, for example, you'd see that the equity risk premium has been falling, not rising like you'd normally expect it to do in a recession. So I think, you know, it's it really is a moot point, I think, at this at this particular time, whether or not we've we've got a recession in the equity market. Now, in terms of how all that feeds into our views about the stock market, we're not convinced that we have seen the low yet in the S and P five hundred. I mean, it's conceivable that happened back in October when the market had already fallen about twenty five percent or so from its peak at the beginning of the year. But the problem I think with that claim is that it doesn't quite stack up with the timing of the sort of recession that we're expecting, I mean, we're anticipating that the slowdown in the US won't be over really until about the third quarter of next year. And I think that would be consistent, certainly on the basis of past four, more with the stock market bottoming out in the spring of next year. I and mean, if you look back mm. historically, that's the sort of time frame that you would expect the stock market to, to bottom out at relative to the end of a recession, you know, three to six months or so. If it really bottomed out back in October, we'd be talking about nearly a year ahead of time now i know investors are very forward looking these days but that to us just doesn't seem to chime really with the timing of of what's coming on the macro front so in a sense what we're really anticipating then is a renewed leg down in stock prices as the storm clouds sort of gather a bit over the economy and then things to improve quite significantly from around the sort of spring to the middle of next year as we see more light at the end of the tunnel and that's consistent with our forecasts for a significant gain in stock prices by the end of twenty twenty three
0: okay. So we have perhaps a recession priced into bond markets, but perhaps less so in equity markets, and that leads to this downward leg and renewed pressure in the first couple of quarters of next year that we have in our in our forecasts. It is really striking the disconnect between what's what's apparently priced into bond markets and what's now apparently priced into equity markets. Talk us through that disconnect, and particularly the the performance of the equity market, I think is the interesting part. What's typically happened during the types of recession that we're forecasting, say, in the U.S., to to the U.S. stock market. And how does that relate to what's currently priced into the market?
1: Well, as I said, the sort of typical lag between the stock market hitting a bottom and the recession ending has been about three to six months historically. And that's why we're anticipating the cyclical low in the S&P 500 to be reached in the spring of next year before the recession in the U.S. is over, perhaps in the third quarter. It isn't always the case if we look back at recessions. In fact, there's been a notable exception after the dot-com bubble burst when the stock market kept on falling well after the recession in 2001 was over. And I think a lot of that relates to the fact that it was extremely highly valued at the beginning of that period and and still still hadn't fully unwound by the time the recession came to an end. What I haven't talked about up until now is the scale of a drawdown that you might expect in a recession. That's clearly varied a lot from one recession to the next. We've seen some massive drawdowns, for example, during the global financial crisis in that dot-com bubble period after it burst. And we've seen some much more mild ones the sort of drawdown that we're at forecasting from peak to trough would be somewhere between sort of twenty five and 30 percent. and that's perhaps slightly more than normal, but not dramatically so. On the one hand, you might say, well, that seems a bit big, doesn't it? We've only got a very shallow recession after all. But I don't think that necessarily precludes a big drawdown in equity prices. After all, if you look, for example, at the 2001 uh, recession, output in the US GDP fell less peak to trough than what we're anticipating next year, and yet caused an almighty drawdown in the stock market because it was so highly valued. We don't think the stock market was as highly valued at the beginning of this year as it was back in 2000, and particularly relative to treasuries, given the, the big drop in yields we've seen between now and then. But, you know, it probably was on the, the higher side of of average in terms of its valuation. And I think that's one reason to expect perhaps a slightly bigger drawdown than normal, pulling in the opposite direction from this sort of shallow recession argument. One thing we haven't got to yet, obviously, we've talked a lot about the, the US and the prospects for markets there, but we haven't talked about the world's second biggest economy and what's going on there. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what you think is going to happen in China in
0: 2023. Yes, well, obviously, the the outlook has improved over the past couple of months, given the moves we've had on zero covid but the point we've been making in our research is that the path out of zero covid is going to be rather more bumpy than many currently seem to anticipate if you look at the experience of other countries that have been through this process you tend to get periodic waves of, of new infections and viruses of the virus and that causes economic disruption but also i think there's two other substantial headwinds facing china's economy at the moment one is from the property sector And another is from the export sector, which has boomed over the past two or three years as spending in developed markets has shifted from services to goods, most of which are produced in China, and that's boosted Chinese exports, that rebalancing of spending and now the diminution of demand in advanced economies has as they slide into recession, is going to hit Chinese exporters. So there's a, it's not all about zero COVID. The path out of zero COVID is going to be more bumpy than most people anticipate. And we've got to think about the property sector and the export sector too, when we start to piece together the outlook for for next year. They put all that together and our sense is that the first half of the year is still going to be pretty challenging for, for China. And it won't be, really be until the back end of 2023 and indeed 2024, that we start to see much in the way of any benefit from, economic benefit that is, from stepping back from zero COVID. Um, And what's more, although the authorities have put in place various support packages for the property sector, and I suspect those will be stepped up over the, the coming months and quarters too, it's probably not going to be until the back end of next year that the property sector starts to turn a corner either. So, I suspect when we record this podcast in 12 months' time, we'll be saying that the outlook for China's economy is rather brighter and 2024 might be a bit better. But I think the first half of 2023 is going to be quite a challenge. And so, you, when you think about what that means for the global economy, you've got the US experiencing a mild recession, the world's second largest economy, China, having a pretty tough start to the year, and a deeper recession in the Eurozone. So, you put all that together, you get a a global recession. What do you think is priced into the market on China at the moment, particularly Chinese local markets? Do you think there's too much optimism around the exit from zero COVID? Um, I'm not entirely sure there is, to be honest, Neil.
1: I was actually read a piece back in early November, sort of trying to assess the extent to which there was too much pessimism actually priced in to China's stock market and trying to reconcile A view that, you know, it's struggling with a lot of the things that you talked about with the fact that the stock market has done so badly, really, since the spring of last year, that we'd reached a point where it really was starting to look relatively appealing, not just on an absolute basis when you were to look at its valuation relative to what it might have been historically, but also relative to some other emerging market economies that had, you know, really done very well in the grand scheme of things. Um, Over that period, I'm thinking about some of the other big emerging market countries here like India and Brazil, whose stock markets, for one reason or another, had really done quite well. And so really, China's sort of long-running outperformance of some of these other markets had gone completely into reverse, large, even wound. And we'd reached, as I said, a point, I think, a month or two ago, perhaps even less than that, just a month or so ago, really, when I think the case could be made... That there was some good news potentially for China's markets in the medium term, at least, you know, even if it was going to still struggle a bit in the short run. And clearly, we've had quite a big turnaround in sentiment towards China in the meantime, as the authorities' approach towards zero COVID has shifted. And that has made that case less compelling uh, because we've seen such a big rebound. And I think there is a a uh, case to be made. But investors have got a little bit ahead of themselves here, given the prospect of, you know, the economy struggling with the transition away from zero COVID in the next three to six months. But I think we're still of the view that there's some scope here for China to do better further down the road, perhaps in the second half of, of next year when the economy starts to look, look a bit better. Uh, and as I said, underpinned still by this relatively favourable valuation story, even if it's less favorable than it was a month or so ago.
0: So a difficult near-term economic outlook, but quite a lot already priced into the the market on that front then. Before we wrap up, John, let's just think through the kind of market landscape and the asset allocation landscape for 2023. You lead our asset allocation work. When you kind of piece together this macro picture and what we've just talked about for different financial markets, asset classes, when you piece that together into an asset allocation view, which asset classes do you think will perform relatively well next year which ones might struggle how do you see that landscape unfolding?
1: Well Neil you talked earlier about potentially a game of two halves in terms of the macro economy and I think it's probably quite similar when it comes to risky financial assets. We're anticipating for example that they're not going to do very well between now and the spring because of the prospect of recessions because we think they haven't been fully discounted as I mentioned earlier in for example equity prices, because central banks are going to continue to push hard against inflation in the near term. But we think the outlook for the second half of next year is a lot brighter. By then, we should be seeing light at the end of the economic tunnel. We should be seeing the prospect of rate cuts materializing. And all of that, I think, is going to add up to an environment that is conducive to a pretty decent performance from equity markets in general. When it comes to how they're going to do on a relative basis to so-called safer assets, I think in the near term, we would anticipate they're going to underperform. And that's because we still see a little bit more lives left in the rally in high-grade government bonds. I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that there isn't a lot of juice left in the rally because of the scale of the moves that we've seen over the past month or so. But we're still anticipating some decline in bond yields. And we expect that to sort of now through the course or the next year or so. So what that means really is that in an environment where you've got risky assets in our view underperforming in the first half of next year and then performing well in the second half that that will also be reflected in their relative performance vis-a-vis for example government bonds.
0: So a year of recession but also disinflation and potential recovery on the macro side. For markets, we anticipate more downward pressure on risky assets over the first half of the coming year, but perhaps a recovery in the second half. Uh, And perhaps a bit more life left in the rally in safe assets, but perhaps not much as as we go through 2023. Uh, And that's all we have time for now. Remember that all of the analysis that we've been discussing is available on the World in 2023 page of our website. And we'll link to that on this podcast page. But that's it from John and me. The weekly briefing will be back in 2023 when we'll be seeing how our forecasts pan out. Until then, goodbye.